This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, I said it wrong, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Great job, Kelsey. I told her all week, Gamaliel. And then I got here this morning, I'm like, no, I was wrong. It's Gamaliel. So, <laughs> poor thing. Uh, I want to introduce you to somebody this morning, kind of. This is a guy named Ronald Dorkin. Ronald Dorkin. Ronald Dorkin is an American philosopher and expert in the, he was, expert in the U.S. Constitution. Now, I'm putting uh, Ronald Dorkin's face up here on the screen because he had this strange idea, this strange theory. His theory was that if someone could have exhaustive knowledge of the U.S. Constitution, the U.S. law, they could find the one right answer for every judicial case, the one right answer. He had this idea, this imaginary judge named Judge um, Hercules, Judge Hercules. And Judge Hercules has ultimate knowledge of U.S. law. He has no prejudice whatsoever. He has unlimited time. And Judge Hercules could always find the one right answer for every individual case. Now, the problem with Dworkin's idea is that his foundation is the U.S. law. And the U.S. law is written by men and therefore full of contradictions and inconsistencies. I'm not saying it's not fair. I'm just saying it's not perfect. But Dworkin was onto something. Because there really is a judge who has ultimate knowledge of all things, not just U.S. law who has unlimited time, he lives outside of time, is completely free of prejudice, and his foundation is his own glory, his own wisdom. And Judge Jehovah can always find the one right answer. In fact, he has heard every case. He has heard all the arguments, and he has given the one right answer. And that one right answer is his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I say that coming off of several decades now of biblical counseling and working with people in life's most difficult situations. 
And, and I was talking this to the soul care class this past week, but you can really boil down every hard issue that drives men because you know you do what you do because you want what you want. Like, like we all have the behaviors that we have, the ones that you want to change, they are there because there's some deep-seated heart desire that's drawing you to that thing. And you can really boil all heart desires down to really one of four things. You have the security, I want security, or pleasure, I just want pleasure, or comfort, or significance or approval. Those four things kind of end up being the root of so many of our heart desires. Why does the porn addict go to porn so often? Well, there's an addiction to pleasure. Why is the power addict so cruel to people to get what he wants? Because there is an addiction to significance and approval. Why does a person fear and worry and struggle with fear and worry and anxiety? Because they just long for security. They don't feel secure. And why did you fight with your spouse this week or be angry with the kids? Because probably you wanted some comfort, right? And comfort is a definite heart idol for many, many people. And I'm telling you right now, Jesus is the answer for all those things. Let me show it to you scripturally. You want some comfort? Who here is longing for some comfort? Say amen. amen. I guess you don't want, that was very weak. So you probably don't want it very much. Here's 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all church. What's the word? Comfort. Who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God is our comfort. Say it. God is our comfort. Looking for some pleasure? Let me tell you where ultimate pleasure is found. Here's Psalm 1611. You may, you may known to me the paths of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Nothing is more pleasurable than abiding in Christ. Just read John 15. And all that's there, and he ends John 15 saying, I write these things unto you that your, my, my joy may be with you and that your joy may be full. The fullness of joy, the ultimate pleasure is lived out in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. You want pleasure? That's where it's found. You need security? How much more security can you get than this? Here's Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'm going to pause there, and I'm just going to ask that question, and I want you to answer it. Okay, we're going to come back to this in a minute. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So you're supposed to answer right there. Let me give you another shot at it, okay? Wake up, 9 o'clock church. Come on. All right. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You want security? There's your security. God will give you, and he prove it. He's proven it through Christ. You long for significance? That's my struggle. Here's Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, or 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. In Christ Jesus, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Not everyone is chosen, church. Not everyone is chosen. But if you know Jesus, you've been chosen by God. What more significance, what more approval do we need? I'm telling you, as I work with people, get into their lives, and the more I can help them focus on Jesus, think about Jesus, love Jesus more, and the more the other things just fall away. He truly is the only right answer. And because he's the only true one right answer, that leaves the church with only one right action. 
And that action is to preach Jesus. And we see that all through this text, getting back to the text here a little bit, the whole flow of the text is this idea of teaching and preaching in Jesus' name. In verse 28, it's the very thing that the Sadducees command the apostles to stop doing. Look at verse 28, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you are filling Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. We see it proclaimed here by the apostles in verses 30 and 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him, Jesus, at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We're talking about Jesus. And, of course, we see at the very last verse, the summary verse of all this story, where he says in verse 42, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The one right answer is Jesus Christ. The one message, the one action the church should never stop doing is preaching Jesus. So here's the big idea of the day. Write it down. We will never stop preaching Jesus. We will never stop preaching Jesus. Now I want to look at this story here, and I want to come away with four commitments. Because of what's written here in this text, four commitments that we should make today. To keep preaching Jesus. And I want you to write this first one down. Here's number one. Write it down. Through strong opposition, I will preach Jesus. Through strong opposition, I will preach Jesus. All right, let our eyes fall on verse number 33. It says this. When they heard this, this is the Sadducees now, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. Kill them. They wanted to kill them. Okay, so this is going a little bit higher now it was originally just arrested them and then they beat them but now clearly they want them dead they want to kill them i told you last weekend the world hates jesus it hates jesus really jesus promised that and so when we go out and we say here's the one right answer to every problem it's jesus it's jesus the world is going to hate that and they are going to strongly 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 oppose the preaching of Jesus, and that is nothing new. The opposition to the preaching of the name of Christ, the strong opposition, is seen all throughout church history. It's a really great article by Dr. George Grant on Ligonier's website, so Ligonier.org. You can find this story. It's called The History of Persecution. It's a really good, concise recount of persecution. I'm going to quote a couple of paragraphs from that to point this out here, this history, church history of persecution. And the first three centuries of the church, from Nero to, see, now I'm doing it, Kelsey, Diocletian, Roman imperial and provincial persecutions were fierce. Tradition tells us of gladiators in the Colosseum, lions in the Circus Maximus, and staked pyres in the Forum as threatening the earliest believers. They were forced into precarious, often secretive existence, living on the margins of society and meeting in catacombs, caverns, and copes, hideaways. Yet they persevered. Esther truly quipped, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Can read through there. He goes through several different centuries of persecution, but he pointed this out, which I thought was really interesting. Astonishingly, though, it has been in the 20th century, along with the first decade and a half of the 21st, that has seen the greatest increase in persecution 
according to their ministries and such as Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, more Christians have been killed for their faith in the last century than in all the others combined. And yet, the church perseveres. And now we hold the banner. And no matter what, we must preach Jesus. Will you say that with me? Just say, we must preach Jesus. Because I used to talk about persecution in our day, and I used to say it was happening. It's happening today. It's happening in the Middle East. It's happening in the far corners of the world. And I don't say that anymore because persecution of the church is happening very close. There are pastors being arrested in Canada as they are trying to gather their churches together to worship. Canada. That's not the Middle East, not the Muslim 1040 window, but right here in North America. And our brothers and sisters are being persecuted greatly. And I don't know what's going to happen here in the States. I know it's not going to get any easier. (laughs) Now, I, I can't say that my life has ever been threatened for preaching Jesus, but what if it was? What if your life was threatened for preaching Jesus. Imagine it. Preach him and die. What would you do? I'm telling you, through strong opposition, we must preach Jesus. Come on, say it again with me. We must preach Jesus. Not only that, write this down as well. As false messiahs fall or fail, as false messiahs fail, I will preach Jesus. Story goes on. So we got verse 33 where they're threatening their lives. But then you have uh, Gamaliel showing up. Uh, But a Pharisee in the council by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do. uh, So care about what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thedus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in those days of the, of the census and drew away some people, some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So what he does here is he presents two kind of stories about these false Jewish messiahs that raise up and that they are destroyed. Now, Gamaliel's really interesting character is uh, um, no question he was one of the leading scholars of his day. He's not only written about in the Bible, well, there's other uh, secular writings that mention his name as well. We know this is one of the leading scholars of Jewish law uh, at the time and probably throughout history. In fact, we're going to learn later, he was actually Paul's mentor. So a real smart, wise individual, and he definitely has the wise counsel for them. But I don't know that he has the right motivation for all of this. Nowhere in scripture does it say that he became a believer. I think he's really trying to say he doesn't believe it's of God and it's going to fail. So just let him alone so the people don't rally against him. Whatever the case, his advice, his counsel is wise. And he does it by pointing out there has been several false messiahs that have risen up. And every time these false messiahs rise up, they fail. Because that's what false messiahs do. They fail every time. 
Because they're not of God, they're of men. And therefore they fail. It's amazing to me how people long for a Messiah. They long for a strong leader. And they'll do all kinds of crazy when the wrong guy shows up. Guys like Jim Jones. Remember Jim Jones? Here's Jim Jones. He was back in the 70s. He was actually originally a Methodist preacher who kind of went, when that kind of went really, really rogue and began leading a group of people called the People's Temple. He's actually from Indiana, to be honest. He's, he started in the Indianapolis area, ended up gathering a large group of people that followed him to California and then eventually South America. And there were, ended up being about 900 people with Jim Jones. And Jim Jones was promising all of this utopian living, all of this stuff. And eventually they all drank cyanide-laced Kool-Aid and died. And that's where we get the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid. It's from this guy. Not too long after, maybe a couple of decades later, you had um, David Koresh rising up. His David Koresh. And I guess if you're a cult leader, you have to wear aviator sunglasses. It looks like that's kind of a thing. And here's David Koresh. And David Koresh uh, led the Branch Davidian um, uh, group that broke off from the Seventh-day Adventists. And he was in Waco, Texas, led a bunch of group there. And uh, that didn't end well. The U.S. government burned their facility down. Over almost 100 people were killed and that whole thing. And you begin to ask yourself, why in the world would people follow these crazy crackpot leaders? And that just sounds so ridiculous to follow those guys. And 900 people followed Jim Jones. Almost 200 were following David Koresh. Well, they were promising something. They were promising comfort and security and pleasure and people were buying it. And so they ran after that. Significance. Acceptance. Today it's no different where right now the false messiah leading many people away is identity. You just got to figure out who you are, man, and live in the best you and just own your own identity and own who you are. And if you believe you're a goat, then you're a goat. And if you believe you're a little five-year-old girl, even though you're a 50-year-old man, then you're a little five-year-old girl. Or if you believe that you're a guy, but you're really a girl, or believe that you're a girl, but you're really a guy, then you should go get some surgery and get that taken care of, some hormonal supplements, and they're manipulating their bodies, chasing after a false messiah, and it's going to fail. And now there are story after story after story of people who regret the surgeries, regret all the things they've gone through because it has not brought lasting satisfaction. And listen, church, our response should not be hatred or anger, or, but it should be love because they need to find the Messiah. And we need to love because it's going to fail. And, and you think about all of the idols the world is searching for. They're all going to fail, church. They're all going to fail because that's what false messiahs do. They fail. But we have Jesus and he will never fail. We got to be ready to preach Christ. If I can do this, maybe bring this a little closer to home, a little closer to us, because all of us from time to time can worship a false messiah, an idol, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, says this. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. 
Watch, anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give, and idols, whatever you look at and say, in your heart of hearts, I'll have that. Then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I know if I have value, then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. Tell me we all haven't sought after something else to give us significance and value. I was chasing this uh, false messiah of success for too long. Maybe, maybe for you it's that. Maybe you're, you're trying to be the best thing of what you do that you can be and you believe that once you're the best what you do then that's going to all of a sudden give you security and comfort and joy and it's it's false messiah and it will fail because that's what false messiahs do or, or maybe it's kids that'll obey right and kids that'll that'll do the right thing and kids that'll just make me look good in front of my friends and kids that'll obey and and, and you're searching for 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 your family to be your significance your your success of your child the people are driven by that it's not just the guy on the sidelines at a, a little league game screaming at his boy to catch the stupid ball right? that, that guy's definitely got some issues but it's also the homeschool mom who's just so freaked out about what her friends will think if she doesn't use a certain curriculum and if you're trying to find your significance and your value in how your kids behave, good luck. I've seen your kids, all right? <laughs> Maybe it's just being financially stable, good economy. So many people seem to look for politicians and the U.S. government to be their source of value and significance. Not good places. Only in Christ. Say with me. Only in Christ. Because Jesus is the Christ. And he will never fail. He is our comfort. He is our joy. He is our significance. He's all of that. He's the only right answer. And as all the other false messiahs fail, we will preach Jesus. Say it with me. We will preach Jesus. Never stopping. Never ceasing. Always preaching Christ. He's the answer. Commitments we're making from the text. We will preach Jesus. Also write this down. Placing my hope in God, I will preach Jesus. Placing my hope in God, I will preach Jesus. Now I want to return to the story a little bit and show you some things here. This is, again, Acts chapter 5. And let your eyeballs fall on verse now number 38. Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, these guys, these guys, they're false messiahs. They failed. But look what it says in verse number 38. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Watch verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. But I love that phrase at the beginning of verse number 39. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Last week I said to you, I want you to be about the thing that God is about. I want you to get behind the thing that God is behind. 
And I wanted to encourage you by Matthew 16, 18. I'll put up on the screen again. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Read the last phrase with me, church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's right. Because God is for it. And if God is for it, nothing, nothing, nothing can stand against it. In fact, you can uh, see this even in Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. This is the Old Testament testifying of the same thing. Here's Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former thing of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things that are, are uh, not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. If God is for us, church, who can stand against us? No one can stand against us. And God is for the church. And what I want that to do in your heart this morning is to generate an incredible hope. Because it's not easy to show up every Sunday morning and to get here early. Like, what time does the worship team show up on a, on a Sunday morning? Like, 7? 7 o'clock, man. The worship team is here, and they're practicing, and they do it week in and week out and week in and week out. And why? Maybe you come and you serve in the children's ministry, and you give up your time, and you study, and you work, and you come prepared, and you teach, and you think, why do we do all this? Or whatever role you have here and you're serving so faithfully and it can get so discouraging and you can say, why are we doing this? Well, because God is for us. This is the thing that God is behind. And right now we're, we're really trying to work hard to find a building because this one's getting small and it's already gotten small and we've got to find some children's ministry solutions like right now, like yesterday. And we're praying and uh, we're discovering that it's not easy to buy a building, even when people are selling them, even when you offer the price you're asking for. It's still not easy to buy a building. And we have a bank behind us. We get all these things. And you think, why can't we? Well, listen, I'm not, we've been worried about it. Why? Because God is for us. And if God is for us, walk and stand against us. Uh, you can answer. If God is for us, walk and stand against us. Nothing can stand against us. And man, I'll preach in a tent. And we'll do the thing that God wants us to do. Now, we have a building, so we don't got to go to a tent. Don't get worried. But I'm just saying, building is irrelevant if God is for us and God is for us. And again, what I want that to do is generate within you hope. God is for this thing. Because it's hard when you take the message of Christ out into the world. And you're like, is this really going to have any impact? And pastor, you talk about reaching the city, reaching my friends, reaching my family. And it just, is it really going to do anything? Well, hope in God. This world needs hope, and you need hope, and you have hope. Hope in God. Here's uh, several verses that encourage you in hope. Psalm 42, 11. I, I love this verse. By the way, this is like one of the verses I quote to myself more often than any other verse, and I want to just, just put this in your arsenal, would you? Uh, why are you downcast, all oh, my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Psalm 147, 11 is powerful. This is uh, on my phone right now. So when I pull out my phone, the first verse I see on my screensaver or my you know, background is this verse. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. I want us to read that one together. I love that verse. Let's read it together. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Do you know how incredible and amazing and huge God's steadfast love is? 
I mean, for you, he loves you. Yeah, but I screwed up this week. Yeah, but he loves you anyway. I'm probably going to screw up again. Yeah, probably. But he's going to love you anyway. Instead, fast love. And don't put your hope in a job. Don't put your hope in your kids. Don't put your hope in anything else. Put your hope in this. God loves you. Let's read it again together. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. That's where our hope belongs. And then I love how Paul, as he's wrapping up the book of Romans, he says this in Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. I'm telling you, church, if we really, truly believe that God is for this thing that we're doing called the church, man, and we really, truly believe that Jesus is the one right answer that the world needs, man, that belief mixed with that hope is a really powerful combination. We're going to need it because it leads us to the last commitment. Through strong opposition, I will preach Jesus. As false messiahs fail, I will preach Jesus. Placing my hope in God, I will please, I will, I will preach Jesus. And then lastly this, suffering dishonor for his name, I will preach Jesus. Look at the text with me now. This is uh, verse number 41. Adam. Then they left the presence of the council. Check this out now. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. You look at the specific words. Don't look at this Yahoo up here. Look at the, your Bibles. <laughs> Sorry, you're not a Yahoo. You're awesome. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing rejoicing, the words rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. It's worded very specifically by Luke, I think for a reason. There is a theme, a thread that goes all the way through this story. And I want you to go back to verse number 17 of of, uh, Acts 5. Remember, this is kind of where it started. This whole story starts in Acts 17, where he says this, but the high priest rose up and they were, uh, and all that were with him, that is the, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. Right? They were jealous. Why were they jealous of the apostles. Well, verses 13 and 14, or specifically 14, it shows that. Here's verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. They longed for the approval of men. And these apostles were getting large amounts of people to approve of them. And they loved that approval. And so, and so now, here, here they are. And how much do the apostles love the approval of men? How much do they love it? Well, not very much. Because they suffered dishonor. They were publicly dishonored by one of the leading scholars of the day, Gamaliel. And they didn't only just tolerate the suffering. (laughs) That's hard enough, can I get a witness? They rejoiced. And not just suffering, but they rejoiced in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor. Those people don't like us as much anymore. They don't think much of us anymore. Praise God. They're rejecting us. Praise God. I mean, the approval of man, I say it every week, I feel like, but the approval of man goes deep. I mean, why else in the world would a man do this to his hair? 
I mean, why? Who, somewhere along the way, someone said, man buns are cool, and a lot of people believed it. And now poor, deceived men all over the world are putting their hair in a bun. Pray for these guys. They, there's only one right answer, and that's Jesus. I, I just Googled uh, Men Fashion 2021, 20, uh, and here's the screenshot I got from Men's Fashion in 21. If I've ever been concerned about where society is headed, it is now. It is now. There's not one outfit in there that I would be caught dead in. And I am the height of fashion, so we all know that for sure. So, but I mean, look at, I mean, come on, really. I mean, that's, that's what, I mean, because someone says it's cool and a lot of people believe it. And because we think it'll garner some approval, we want to put our hair in a bun and we want to wear ridiculous things. So we all want it. The world wants it. You want it. At some level, the approval of men. How do you get to here? How do you get to verse 41? How do you get there that you're rejoicing and you're kind of worthy to suffer dishonor? Well, I think two truths have to go really deep. Deep, deep truths that we need to embrace. Let me give you two of this. Here's one truth that you really need to embrace, that man's way is wrong. It's wrong. I know you know it, but do you know that you really know it? I mean, I've talked a lot in my pastorate about the difference between confessional theology, the stuff we know we should know, the stuff we know that we know, but then functional theology. Does it really change the way I'm living? And do we really believe it's wrong to live for security? Do we really believe it's wrong like in your functioning life, think back to your past week, past two weeks, past month. How often were you living for your security, your comfort, your pleasure? Like that ruled you? And we have to really deeply believe that's wrong. That's wrong. I can't do that anymore. And you have to believe this, number two. God's way is right. Jesus really is the answer. He really, really, truly is the answer. Like in my heart of hearts, I find my joy in Jesus. My heart of heart, I find my pleasure in Jesus. He is my security. He has become my thing that I go to when I'm worried and fearful, and it calms my soul. Jesus really is the answer. And man, the more you believe those two things, this way is wrong, but this way is so right. And you're living in that and experiencing that. Man, I... May my name die. And may the name of Jesus raise up. I must decrease, but he must increase. And that becomes their passion. So yeah, fantastic. They think I'm an idiot. Great. Maybe they'll run to Jesus instead of me. Maybe they'll go to him instead of my ideas. Please let my name be dishonored. And the name of Jesus rise up. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing to... Those things going deeply in our heart, but it comes from this one thing, church. You really living in the joy, in the comfort, in the security, in the pleasure of Jesus Christ. And the more you're living for Jesus and in him, and I'm telling you, the desire to preach his name is going to grow in you and nothing will stop you because we must preach Jesus. Say it with me. We must preach Jesus. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing his name, give him glory. Let's do it together. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your goodness and your love. 
such a joy to preach your word and to just exalt your son. I mean, you... Oh. I have Jesus. I need nothing else. And I'm, Lord, you have... And so gracious, Jesus, to come and meet with me. Even so gracious, Jesus, to in my lowest points of my life, you sought me out. When I was running from you, you found me and you would not let me go. Jesus, when I failed you, you forgave me and you restored me. Jesus, when, when my family was, was, I mean, like, we didn't know how we were going to put food on the table that week because we didn't have the finances because I was trying to serve you. You worked miracles to put the food for my family. You provided for us. I thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being not just my God, but my friend, my close companion never forsaking me even when I've forsaken you and it's never going to stop because it's who you are your love is steadfast oh Lord I want I want so many people I want everybody to come to this so God would you just help me in my life no matter what my title is no matter that I am preaching your son Jesus Christ Father I pray for my church We'll all get a passion just to preach Jesus and then lead many to his glory. And we ask all this in his name. Amen.